You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am Kristen Maxwell, and in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I'm really pleased to be talking to Sadhu Da about magic and, uh, you know, mastery and studying so many different spiritual elements. And Sadhu Da, he is a multidisciplinary spiritual teacher and a student and practitioner in numerous lineages. He spent years training. Uh, in Thai Buddhist magic, Thai Wicca, as a Mofi in the Theravada tradition. He's studied under Rinpoche and Lamas from the um, Bampo Tibeta lineage. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing all of these. And he's currently studying in the Maoshan sect of Taoism under High Priest Yang. He is also a master hypnotist, a Reiki master, um, and a practitioner of Fuk Yuan Chuan. Now, how interesting is that? Anyway, welcome, Sadhu Da, to uh, your superpowered mind. Thank you for having me, Kristen. Yes, and I, I apologize for everything that I completely misspoke, and you can correct me if I please, um, if I go wrong astray again. So, Sadhuda, what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? Well, that's a very good question. Um, there were quite a few what we would call cities, uh, supernatural or psychic abilities that come when you reach certain states of what are known as samadhi or samadhi, which are higher states of consciousness um, with meditative practices and some of the disciplines I belong to. One of the most dominant ones that I noticed that um, has been documented um, in camera and photos, um, felt physically um, and witnessed by people, even skeptics, is the ability to generate chi, uh, life force, prana, if you will, um, as the Chinese call it, qi. And it's a very fascinating thing because you realize that once you cultivate it to a certain level, it becomes tangible, physically tangible. Uh, you can feel it emit from your body. Other people can feel the heat. They can feel the coldness. They can feel it move and surf around them, especially when you're doing healings. It's so fascinating because it really makes one wonder, where is the separation of body, mind, and spirit um, when we hear that we're all connected? Um, that's usually what comes to mind is the chi that connects us within the universal cosmic structure. Oh, I love that. That that is amazing. And so is this something that you have learned now, okay, you know, to to become aware of or is this something that you sort of always did have an awareness of? I wouldn't say that I necessarily always had an awareness of it um to the extent of how we use the word awareness, uh, I was always able to do things with my energy, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And it wasn't until I had developed 
deeper practices and spent time with my numerous masters and kind of gained a very strong foothold over wielding it and, and using it that I found, um, you know, just how real it was and my awareness of it grew uh, tremendously. Yeah. Oh, I have so many things I want to ask you. Um, and I will a break um, first before we start digging into all of this. Can you let people know where they can learn about you and, and, and everything that you're doing? Uh, yes, certainly. If you are to look me up online, you can find my website, www.thesadhuda.com. And that's S-A-D-H-U-D-A-H. Um, you can find my Etsy shop on there, as well as my YouTube channel, my blog post, and past and previous um, podcasts that I've been on. Great. Thank you. Definitely. I will put that in um, the link to the show notes. Um, and if you do go check out the show notes, also just check out what we do at Superpower Experts. We're a, a very much communal space for people to come together and share in their growth. Um, superpowerexperts.com. Hang on, we will be right back um, to go into some of this mastery. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the programs tab to get started today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking to Sadhu Doth. So, Sadhu, like when I started to learn about you and I was looking at you, you know, one of the things that very, very much strikes out, um, stands out, is all the different areas that you've studied and the masters you've studied under, and very, um, very different areas of practice and. How did you end up doing that or why? You know, what were you hoping to get? Well, in the beginning, I guess you could say it goes back to my my origin of uh, growing up in a very rough uh, childhood. Um, my father uh, spent a considerable amount of time in prison on gang and drug charges. And my mother was... Um, for lack of a better term, a street worker. And I was just so full of hatred and pain and didn't understand the world. And it wasn't until I met one of my first teachers, um, Master Thanifal Pakti, one of the monks from the uh, Theravadan uh, Buddhist lineage that I belong to, that I started to see that there, there was more the, to life than just pain. And there was knowledge and there were things uh, beyond our comprehension that if we just applied our, our spiritual aptitude towards that, we could just glean the smallest little nugget of wisdom from them. And over time, the more that I started to study and I started to learn and follow these different teachers, I was led to more teachers and my path grew. And at a certain rate, I had found myself healing internally more than I ever thought was possible. And that sad, lonely, and hate-filled, angry little boy inside became a joyous beacon of love and prosperity that radiated out to others who were sharing those similar lower states 
that I had become so accustomed to living in. So I guess it was more so not what drew me to these paths, but why was this the path I was meant to take? Yeah. Right. And, and how you were set up to really um, feel and so many different levels, the difference it's made for you and now for other people. Yeah, it's um, one of those things that when a huge shift or change happens internally, a lot of times I've found in my own experience and with some other people that I've talked to, you almost can't even pinpoint where it happened. All you know is that you've changed. Yes. Yes. And what I love, you know, that you're saying, because I know that there are so many people out there who are struggling, you know, probably, you know, obviously different backgrounds from yours, but still feel very trapped inside um, their heads and um, not knowing how to find peace, you know, within them and without them, you know, from outside (laughs) right? Um, and this, this, this spiritual past. So, you know, you, you've got all of these different, um, you know, disciplines now. How is it that you work with people? You know, what is it um, that you feel really called to do? Or is, is there something you feel called to do, able to see or to shift? I mean, I, you're sort of well, speaking to it, but I mean, there's, there's a few different ways that I work with people and I help people. Um, one of them is, you know, tutelage and mentorship. Um, I take advanced practitioners and I help turn them into masters and, and really, you know, give them some powerful stuff that they can work with. And I take people who are unfamiliar and I help to initiate them within um, my lineages, which I do have um, the blessing to do. And, uh, and I help them along their path to find where it is that they want to grow and go within magical traditions and spirituality. The other two things that I do mainly is uh, one, uh, paranormal endeavors, uh, people with haunted homes, uh, genuine exorcisms, house, class, uh, house cleansings, blessings, energy healing, things of that nature. And then the third thing that I do that is a pretty big part of uh, what I offer others is I I do trauma regression hypnotherapy. I help people who are trapped in their heads. I help people who feel like there is no hope to rewrite their neurology and to reclaim their power and to shed those um, self-mutilation programs and patterns within their body and mind. That is pa- that is very powerful. Can you w- tell say more about the trauma regression hypnotherapy? Yeah. Um, so when we're working with trauma, the first thing that we need to understand is that the subconscious mind uh, is is kind of like a coding in a computer program. It's just simply going to imprint whatever is fed to it, whether that be positive or negative. And when we have certain instances in our life, like let's say, you know, you asked a girl out to a dance in middle school and you were rejected. And then that 
fear of rejection then becomes a program within you that causes you to take less chances, that lowers your self-confidence, that prevents you from taking risks that could potentially have a big payoff, that just overall affects you in a negative way. And when we can find that ISE, that initial sensitizing event, through our probing stage of the hypnotherapy session, we're able to locate uh, that isolated trauma packet and we're able to re-encode it with the opposite. So something positive where there was something negative. And then that will then take the place of that negative holder and we can have somebody have a tremendous shift in their awareness and presence of self and the way that they move forward in the world. Yeah, that, that is such powerful work. I, you know, I find just working with people when we go back to, you know, with the memories and that you can sort of dig out whether or not they're actually, you know, you could say for sure that it happened. This is what's, you know, being called up and given to you in your brain. And, you know, at a time when you were unable to process it and to make sense of it. And when you can re give it a different meaning, it literally can change somebody's life. I've yes. seen that. Yeah. It's like this, a whole new understanding of who they are and the way the world works that they just didn't get before. Well, and, so. and I think it's also worth noting that, um, more importantly um, than the memory is, is the feelings um, in the yes. body, the feelings associated because yes. memories, as we know, can degrade, degrade and can kind of shift over time and not be as we remembered them. But those feelings, those are what really matter. That's what we're really going for. Yes, exactly. And any person <laughs> who works with me in about five minutes of starting, you starting to talk, I'm like, okay, what are you feeling in your body? And where is it? <laughs> yes. What is it? <laughs> you know, so tell me where that energy, right? So yeah, it's so, that is so, so powerful. You know, so one of the things that I think is really interesting is Thai Wicca. What is that? Can you tell us a little bit more? Of, what is that? <laughs> so Thai Wicca um, is something that actually predates what we know as, um, you know, Thailand. So back when it was Siam, you had a lot of animistic practices. Um, so think like, you know, a lot of people are familiar with some of the the chants and dances and, and practices of like Native Americans. Mm -hmm. So think of like Native American culture, shamanism, right? Now, when we look at those primitive practices, and I don't say primitive in a negative way, I mean more earth-based, more spiritual communion with the all uh, Atman of the universe, if you will. These were oral traditions that were passed down generation after generation. And what the Wicca is defined as is a magical system or a classification of magical practices. Uh, to give a small example, um, the making of a Hun Pan or Hun Pan is a Thai Wicca system, and it is similar in Wiccan and ceremonial magic traditions to an egregore or a servitor, um, or as the Tibetans uh, describe as a tulpa. 
So this is a spiritual mass of energy constructed with a function and purpose, um, very similar to a robot guardian, which is what um, Hun Peon translates as. And so we learn these practices. Um, I belong to the Khmer Lana uh, forest monk tradition um, within uh, Theravadan Buddhist magic uh, practices. And one of the things that I was taught were how to make different types of Hun Peon. And they're more so these uh, spiritual beings that uh, constructed from living energy using straw, uh, wire, bone, different things in the effigy of a person. And they're meant to help protect the home, ward away dangers, and kind of also act as a witch bottle, if you will, in the sense that if they break, it's because they took a hit that was intended for you. Ah, that is very cool. Yeah, because I did notice that you you create on your website, spirit statues. Is that another word for it? Or is that just sort of uh, translated or is that something different? Uh, so that would be something different. So okay. the spirit statues, um, there are many, many different types, but the two major ones that we would focus on for simplicity's sake would be uh, prey or pry, which is P-R-A-I. And those are generally like human spirits, human ghosts. Mm -hmm. And then you have gumentang or kumentang. And those are the spirits of children. And a lot of people who aren't necessarily familiar with Thai culture may find the thought of, um, you know, corpse ingredient or, you know, anything from like a, a small deceased child to be something so grotesque. And why would you make an object with that? And what people are not understanding is there's a bigger element at play here. And that is, when a child has uh, passed, you know, in childbirth or in the early, you know, years of development, there is so much potential, so much life force lost, um, so much karma that uh, wasn't able to be attained or worked through. And when you put them in the statue through these specific Taiwicha processes that we have, and these rituals and these kata, mantra, chants, uh, we are able to give this being a, a new life in a sense, and we can work with it. And it becomes a mutual exchange where the spirit will help you and work with you and do things for you. And you share your merit, your good deeds with this spirit. And with enough time, the good deeds that you share with it, allow it when it reincarnates to transcend to a higher vibration and to reincarnate in a higher form than if it had just passed along into its next life phase without ever having received those merits. Wow. And so where did you, are, are, the, are you pulling together with this a variety of, of different practices or is this still primarily the Thai Wicha? That's now, primarily the Thai Wicha. Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. that's Thai Wicha. Okay. And how, where in the world did you study this? <laughs> I, I spent a lot of times at uh, various wats um, known as temples in uh, Thai culture, um, been to Chiang Mai and Koh Samui and Bangkok. And um, my teachers uh, were mainly from uh, Wat Pa Samake and Wat Tataratam. Um, which are two uh, Buddhist temples. And I studied a lot with um, Master uh, Pong Sak 
and Master Thanaful Pakti. I had um, other masters within the Thai traditions, but what was very interesting about Master Thanaful Pakti was he is what you would consider a traditional um, temple monk. And then the difference being with a forest monk is the forest monks, um, they don't live in the temples. They tend to do a lot of tudong, uh, and tudong is a term for um, like a pilgrimage. So they would wander through the forest and this is very incredibly dangerous when you think about the context of, of you know, being in America and being in Thailand, because just wandering for miles through the forest and going from village to village, you have to take into consideration um, venomous, um, you know, insects, plants, um, animals, and also tigers. Um, it's a very mm-hmm. real threat. Uh, bandits, yeah. things of that nature. I mean, it's uh, it's very interesting that um, many monks will take such a dangerous journey when um, they don't necessarily have to, but it's part of their spiritual practices to partake in Tudong. Mm. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. And you live in the United States now. You're back in the U.S. How, um, you know, what kind of practices do you maintain now to keep yourself connected? Well, one of the things that I do every morning is I will wake up and I have this massive altar um, in, in my room. And it is where I, I give offerings of food and, and drink and incense and things to my spirit statues. And I pronounce and say kata. Um, so like the, the mantras and chants that I was taught by the monks. Mm-hmm. And then I do um, qigong. Um, uh, so m- people who might not be, be familiar with qigong think of tai chi. Tai chi mm-hmm. is a form of qigong. Um, so I do that. And then I also will do uh, various pranayam or like breathing practices. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of generally go about my day. And then if I ever find myself in a low point mentally, or I struggle in any type of way or form, I will just resort to my practices until I feel a shift, until I feel better. So I, I tend to have um, a pretty thorough sadhana um, as the uh, Vedic mystics would describe it. And in um, Hindu terminology, sadhana meaning a daily spiritual practice. Mm. I think that's absolutely crucial and critical for anyone on spiritual path. For some people that might be yoga, um, you know, and, and it might be various different prayers that they say, but sadhana is very important for spiritual nourishment and growth. Yeah, it very much is. It's that connection every day to something other than you as your yourself, I guess. Yeah. Right. Although, you know, you're still obviously you and your movements and all of that. You know, so do you have something because I'm always looking for things that help people in a moment. So if they find themselves start spinning, do you have like breath practice or a practice that somebody could try to calm themselves down if they find themselves spinning? Um, Yeah, actually um, there's two very simple ones that I I can share. Uh, One of them is called Simha Kriya. And uh, that comes from a pranayam tradition. Also, um, anyone who's familiar with Wim Hof, um, Wim Hof has a variation of Simha Kriya 
the developed breathing method that he came off with, the Wim Hof method, was actually based off of Simhakriya. So what we would do is we would hold our tongue all the way out. Like think of a, a dog wagging, you know, its tongue out. So you, you have your tongue stuck all the way out and your mouth open, and then you're going to rapidly breathe. Like you're going to give yourself um, an anxiety attack. And this is very intentional. The reason why we're doing this, I'll explain. So it's like, <sighs> okay, you do that 21 times, then you will keep your mouth open, but put your tongue to the roof of your mouth and let your teeth bare. And then you do the same thing 21 times. Okay. And are and they fast after, breaths or slow breaths? Oh, Does they're that, fast breaths. Yeah. Okay. You, you should feel lightheaded after. Okay. And so then upon the last exhale, you will take in a deep breath and you will puff your chest out and you will tense every muscle, your fist, your feet, everything, and you'll feel yourself pressurize. And as long as you can comfortably hold it, hold the breath. And then once you exhale, I want you to just simply exhale and completely relax, have your eyes closed and just sink into that feeling. Uh, a lot of times uh, people that do this will experience what's called mushin, as the Japanese call it, a state of no mind where you are completely present and aware, but you are experiencing nothingness itself. Um, it's very beautiful. It's very calm. It's very peaceful. Uh, and this can, uh, on a psychological level, if we're talking about what's happening chemically in the body, you're inducing the 4F uh, trauma response protocol, otherwise known as fight, flight, freeze, fawn. So you're starting um, you know, this adrenal response in your body and then you're kicking it into a parasympathetic reset. So think of rest and digest. So if we're already panicking or we're having a hard time, that means that we're already experiencing, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn mechanism in our body. But if we start a new one, the old one is going to then end and we are also ending the new one. That is so cool. And what I love is, this is what has been so interesting is as they've started to understand what physiologically so many of these breathing practices do for us that actually are causing the body to be calm. It's, it's incredible. I mean, you know, the, the other thing that I like to add in conjunction with this that I believe, you know, people will find to be an incredibly useful tool is, um, so this one comes from Dr. David Snyder, who's a world-class hypnotist, and this is called neurogenic reprocessing, AKA spinning. And so what we do is we connect with our subconscious mind and we rewrite programs using self-hypnosis in the only way that the subconscious mind can communicate with the conscious mind. And that is through color, vibration, and frequency. It doesn't speak any known spoken language. Mm -hmm. And so you will think of a feeling whether it be anxiety, depression, whatever it is that is bothering you. So you just focus on that feeling and then instinctively put your hand on the spot where you feel it in your body, whether it be your chest, your shoulder, your foot, your stomach, anywhere, wherever you feel that feeling that you're focusing on. And then once you have your hand there, simply give it a color. First color that comes to mind. It doesn't matter. It can be a multitude of colors, a fusion of colors. And then we build the metaphor. We give it a shape. We give it a temperature. 
a density, any anything you can add to it. Usually I say just two, two or three things, so like a color, a shape, and a size um, is enough usually. And then we're going to grab, and this is where you know, on a psychological level, we're engaging the imagination. Therefore, we are directly engaging with the subconscious mind. On a spiritual level, we're playing with chi. So what you'll do then is you'll start pulling it all out. You just feel yourself grabbing and pulling it all out. And then once you have, like, you feel like you have it all out, you'll hold it in front of you like you're holding a basketball, one hand on each side. And simply notice the direction that it's spinning in. And then we'll just compress our hands together and stop the spin. Now, here's the very important part. If you liked the direction that it was spinning in, you're going to spin it in that direction. If you don't like the direction it was spinning in, you will spin it in the reverse direction. And then we start like, think of spinning a ball in your hands and you just really engage your arms, your whole body, and you just start spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning till it feels like it's going wildly out of control. And then you slam it right back into the part of your body you took it out of and you take a deep breath and you feel it integrate. This is actually rewriting your neurology. And most people will notice a difference. Some, it may be subtle, but we got to think about how deep these programs might be like depression, anxiety, things of that nature. And with enough time, you can do this as many times as you want all day, any day, uh, highly encouraged to make it a regular practice. And you can do this for anything like public speaking, um, for self-confidence, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a powerful tool that you can always have. It's great. Yeah, that is so cool. I have never heard of that. Although I did recently read, I thought this was fascinating that they, when they did studies of the effectiveness of talk therapy, they found that the ones who had the most success with therapy were ones who were able to visualize their emotions and give it and describe them with the shape and and color and some sort of you know three-dimensional item. So how cool is that? That's subconscious connection right there. Yeah, yeah. They didn't go into any of that, but they just said that that's what they found was the difference between it being successful for people and not successful. So yeah. Look at that energy stuff. It's so cool. <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, it really, really is. And I love that, uh, that you can describe it that way. And, you know, it's a little bit woo-woo and a little bit um, practical and a little bit physical. And it's like, oh, okay, I can see this. This is, this is why I know that I think a lot of people have had um, more openness to meditation once they discovered that it actually was changing their brain, right? Right. So they could see it. And and that's the interesting thing is that, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, so many people have touched on it where it's some of these things that, that we call spiritual and metaphysical and paranormal um, it's simply because this, the science hasn't yet caught up. Um, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't always science to begin with. And, you know, you look at somebody from, let's say, you know, the 1920s and you show them a, a cell phone and 
I mean, to them, that's mm-hmm. magic. They, they can't possibly explain how it works. It's so bizarre. What do you mean you could talk to somebody on the other side of the world with this small thing in your hand? Like you can, you can, uh, what is the internet? These pictures, these things load in your palm, you know, to, to these people, it would just be absolutely mind blowing magic and mysticism, but it's not, it's simply science that we can explain because we know how it works. And so now we are starting to catch up with a lot of these things that have always been valid. Yeah. It's so crazy. I love that. You're right. Science just hasn't caught up yet to be able to explain what is going on at an energetic level. Wow. Very cool. All right. Well, we do need to wind uh, wind up, but it's been really, really fun talking to you. Um, do you have something you just want to let people know, you know, based, you know, any thoughts, closing thoughts? Uh, very, very broad. Um, yeah. Um, I always like to leave people with um, something a bit uplifting. And for anyone out there who may be struggling and who may be going through what feels like the impossible, what I would like to directly say to you in this moment is that the same way that you feel low, the same way that you feel negative or bound and restricted you also have the ability to change that feeling inside of yourself, as impossible as it may seem. If you apply the tools and the practices that were shared here in this episode today, I'm willing to stake my reputation and who I am as a human being that there is a difference that can happen and there is healing that can occur and there is hope for you and there is an ability to transform within you already. Mm, that was beautiful. Yes. And that is exactly sort of the, in align with what I want people to know. It is possible to say heal, but to feel better and to transform it is. And it, sometimes it is, you know, it takes um, regular repeating of practices, but it happens. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, I will put your um, website in our show notes. So if you guys want to come look that up, otherwise it's the, the sadhu da, uh, T-H-E-S-A-D-H-U-D-A-H. Did I hope I, yes, I did spell that correctly. And um, thank you listeners for being here, for showing up for yourself. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Bye. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 